Welcome to Inside the Bradfield Centre. I'm James Parton, the Managing Director of the Bradfield Centre, and joining us today is Nigel Hall, who is the CEO of Cambridge Broadband Networks Group and a member of the Bradfield Centre. So in today's conversation, just really looking forward to uh, hearing about Nigel's background. Nigel and I have chatted before and he's got a really varied and and rich past, really fascinating. So I'm sure that'll be uh, an interesting listen. Also looking forward to digging into exactly what Cambridge Broadband Networks Group does and the products it offers. Certainly know it it seems to have perfect product market fit right now with an explosion in demand for what they're doing. And also just to understand how Nigel's adapting to COVID, um, how the team is being productive while it's been dispersed from the Bradfield Centre, and and just looking ahead to see what 2021 holds in store. So Nigel, thanks so much for taking the time to uh, come onto the show today and have a chat with us. Um, Why don't we uh, kick things off with just learning a little bit more about you and your journey and and what you've been up to and how you got to where you are today. Brilliant, James. Thank you very much for the opportunity to speak with you. It's it's nice to actually get the chance to do that in in the current climate. So um, yeah, my background's uh, an interesting one um, from the point of view of um, entrepreneurial journeys, I guess. Um, I started out as a Kid in the northeast, um, working in a sort of a place that used to have about 32% unemployment in those days. Um, left home at the age of 16, went to work for a company that uh, uh, was called Marconi as an apprentice. Um, went through the ranks there, and eventually um, became part of a group of people that merged two big corporate organisations together, which formed a company called GPT, um, which was one of the biggest telecommunications vendors at that time in the marketplace. Uh, and I was fortunate enough after we did the merger to work in a really interesting part of the business, which ran all the customer projects. And um, and I was fortunate to be responsible for some of the biggest infrastructure projects in the world at that time. Uh, one was the Channel Tunnel um, and all the communication systems for that. Um, I was also involved in the Jubilee Line extension when that was built out, the new, uh, the new uh, location out to, from the centre of London out to Canary Wharf when there was just one building in Canary Wharf in those days. Uh, and I'm still on the hook for the software for that system, actually, um, some 35 years on. Really? <laughs> I just hope we don't, uh, there's no errors on it. <laughs> you still walk around with a page. <laughs> <laughs> and I was also um, uh, sort of part responsible for the build-out of the new airport in, airport in Hong Kong, which was put together a few years ago, and, um, and was joint P&L responsible for that. But the most, um, I think for me, the, the biggest step in my career that I took on uh, was actually leaving that world and, and joining, which is probably when my, I suppose you might say my entrepreneurial period started, which is to get involved in a company that was just starting out. Um, I was part of the startup team that set up the mobile operator Orange in the UK. Um, fortunate enough, re- responsible for 10 of my 14 years as well, I went round the world uh, being able to plant a flag in the ground called Orange and, and be responsible for launching all their international territories over over that period of time, which was absolutely wonderful. Um, a real challenge, getting to work with some of the best people I've ever worked with in my career. Um, and just having that um, ability with such a powerful customer-centric brand 
that was really only built around being disruptive in the market as well. And that's probably where in today's world, a lot of technology businesses have a DNA around being disruptive and trying to find ways to be innovative. Well, that was the only thing I knew in that th- at that time, uh, because that's what Orange was about. We were the disruptive market player. Um, we were often entering a market last, so we needed to be different. We needed to be customer-centric. And we invented some of the, the things that have become the principles of the mobile industry since, since that time, which are things like per-second billing, which didn't exist. Um, bundled tariffs, which have just become the norm around the world now, and all sorts of fantastic stuff like that 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 I was able to get involved with uh, with working with. And and as I said, what was more important for me is that DNA that got created by Orange at the time, you know, infected us all. And and it's been that that sort of journey, I suppose, that I've uh, tried to leverage some of those um, uh, capabilities that I learned during my time in Orange, uh, and that. After, I mean, it's a fascinating time. Um, it's just a brilliant time in 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 the world at that time to to really go out and make a difference. Yeah, well, I mean, we've obviously chatted and we've got some shared experiences in the telecoms world, and I agree with you. I think um, I think we probably were at the the, the kind of. Uh, in, in the operator world at the best possible time because it's easy to forget now when you kind of look back but you know at the advent of 3g and the mobile operators were very much the kind of gatekeepers of the mobile internet it was a it was an exciting time it was it was indeed and um and i'm grateful for the opportunity to have learned so many things of at that time and brought them forward to today it's just it was great um, and when um, when Orange went through a number of takeovers, um, I then became part of a big group organization. I worked for the Orange Ventures arm. Um, I worked in group strategy, uh, the enviable uh, job title of being called the conciliary, which a lot of people used to find amusing at the time um, because that was the done thing in Orange to have strange job titles. Um, and then when um, I was finishing some of those group roles, I went back into the operating units as a COO, CEO, CIO. Um, I think the only job I've not done is probably the chief people officer role in, in an operating unit. Uh, and then in 2006, 2007, I sort of uh, became part of the, uh, the world of interim management and took it on myself to leave Orange and go on my own journey of being a hired gun in the market. And since then, I've pretty much worked for companies like anyone from PRS for Music to KPMG to McLaren um, to Telefonica, uh, which you know, James, and um, and a number of other ones in, in the middle. Um, so I've been involved in transforming businesses from uh, early stage tech startups right the way through to mid caps and corporates. Um, I've done some major turnarounds of businesses. I was part of the team that did a a uh, change agenda in uh, cable and wireless worldwide when we pulled it out of its fourth profits warning in a in a sort of in the market um but my passion really is going and working with what i would say is early stage tech businesses and fortunately a few years ago got the chance to do that based in the warwick university science park and um help to uh, coach some entrepreneurs, um, helped to also lead a couple of businesses that were that were active with angel investors at that time, and to get them to commercial launch, and then more recently got involved in in getting involved in Cambridge Broadband Networks Limited late last year. 
which brings us right up to date, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I mean, why don't you I – mean, I'm going to come back and ask you a couple of questions because you've got such a varied and rich uh, kind of career there. There's, there I'm going I'm to come back and ask you a couple of things. But um, why don't you tell us, you know, all about uh, the current role and um, how you ended up with the Bradfield Centre? Yeah, so it was a really interesting one. Um, um, the the story is as follows. I mean, I was brought in by the board um, of Cambridge Broadband Networks Limited, as was, uh, back in October uh, 2019. And uh, really, um, the business was was under a bit of challenge and a bit of stress at that time. And the purpose really behind the, the process was to take it through a, an exercise of looking for a new owner, or some new investment, um, and doing a transformation of the business at that time. And um, it was really quite a distressed situation to deal with. Um, and fortunately for me, uh, there was a lot of really great people around inside the organization at that time who wanted to really transform the business into a new, a new organization. And fortunately as well, we had a number of uh, people who uh, were running the process with us to find a new owner who helped us identify a new, new owner, which we did. And that was through the months of effectively November, December, January, and February, just before lockdown started. Um, we then put the company into a, uh, a new ownership state um, and a plan to transform the company from what it was to what it is today. And effectively, we took it through and pruned it back, restructured it, and created a new co-out of the organization, um, which is now called Cambridge Broadband Networks Group. Um, we felt it was appropriate to try and keep that strength of brand from the history of the business, some 20 years uh, older as it is. But a lot of our customers out there really have a strong affinity with the Cambridge brand. And we wanted to find ways to make sure that we transitioned that appropriately into the new co, even though it was a very different business. Um, but a new business nonetheless, but needing to, you know, make sure that we kept our old customers with us and transform them into the right position with us as well, which is what we've been doing since pretty much lockdown, which is last March. And that's how we came to the Bradfield Centre, because that was our that was going to be our new office at that time. And we started out in the building, um, which was great. It was a fabulous place to start the new co um, and start the new company with all of the fresh things and that were around us and the ecosystem and the access to new new talent that that I know exists in that area. And that was the plan. And then, as you know, James, things changed a little bit. Um, and so at that point, since pretty much the first couple of weeks of March, um, although we've uh, we've still been using your, your office location in the Bradfield Centre for um, ad hoc events, We've pretty much been working from the home office, as they say, um, since that time and um, managed to generate some really interesting revenues in just the space of what was effectively just a, about a nine month year that we had last year. So uh, I'll, I'll come back and talk to you about, you know, your experiences of, you know, working from home and all those kinds of things. But in terms of, uh, you know, Cambridge Broadband Network Group, why don't you what, what are the key products? You know, what's the key offer? Cambridge Broadband Networks. Um, as I said, goes back about 20-odd years. Um, they are the leader in the provision of effectively licensed millimetre wave technology for the telcos and the wireless internet service providers around the world. And in effect, what they've done over that 20 years is provide most of the, um, the licensed spectrum microwave solutions to, the, to probably around about 100 customers across about 50 countries. 
And a lot of that equipment still exists in those in those markets and territories. It is a global business. Um, it isn't something that's just very local. But the time was right to to take a closer look in the new code, how we were going to you know, come into the new world. And that new world really did hit us, as you know, in March, because um, that triggered what I would call a major transformation of a need called broadband to everywhere. And we provide some of those solutions that help that along. And in the particular solutions that we provide, um, we are focused very much now on a 5G fixed wireless access solution that we are just going on the journey of building for our customers right now, because that demand is in the 5G world is, you know, more than ever, that exponential demand in particularly in the non-urban areas of cities is where I see and where we see our proposition in the future going. And that's really what we're now embarking on the journey of. Okay, interesting. And you're seeing that kind of demand coming, you say, globally, not just in the kind of developed markets. Yeah, that's right. I mean, um, as to some extent, you probably know, James, um, being in the telecommunications industry, certain markets grow at certain paces and drive the rest of the agenda. And 5G and fixed wireless access solutions right now, the uh, the market in North America is very, very buoyant. Um, that's primarily because the spectrum allocations have been made very, very clear and the applications for 5G have been made very, very clear in North America. And a lot of our existing customer base is already there and, and therefore we're leveraging that. Um, and I fully expect that over time, Europe will then follow suit with the allocations of spectrum and the particular applications of that spectrum. Um, we'll find the same thing starting to happen as it already is actually to some extent in the Middle East. And then we've got Africa, which will, which is already making great strides and never ceases to amaze me how innovative the African territories are at times. And then, of course, we've got the Latin American region where I think they'll be coming up trumps as well on, on some of those demands in the 5G space. And, and in some cases, the what seems to be the more or the less advanced markets, I find that at times like this, they often, they often leapfrog. Um, and although the spectrum allocations haven't been let in some of these territories, I fully expect that once they are, you know, you, you'll see some incredible increases in demand for millimeter wave solutions and technology that fills that space. And it's, I think, a fascinating opportunity that I believe exists, which is the operators and the telcos, the wireless internet service providers, they all need blended solutions. It's never one size fits all. Um, whether you're in the, the urban areas of a city um, on the outskirts of the suburban areas or whether you're in the rural areas or whatever else you are, you need a blend of all of these types of solutions. And even in this country today, I think we're beginning to see that that'll start to become, it won't be just a fiber solution to everyone's home that will provide the service, even though that's the perfect world, of course. It'll be also fixed wireless access solutions that, that generate the value. And I think more and more and more now, right now, particularly, I think we're seeing the evolution of that rather swiftly. I mean, there was always that catch-22 that it was always in the areas where it was it, it made little economic sense to cable or, fi you know, run fiber to. Um, they also had the added issue of it, it didn't pay back, you know, to have good mobile coverage in those areas either. Is that changed over time? You know, are you seeing that kind of uh, infilling now of those kind of black spots to give people access to the kind of bandwidth they're going to need? Yeah, well, it's interesting because, as you know, it's quite a, a challenge, economically speaking, with many of these types of solutions. And I think it's one of the things that Cambridge Broadband Networks Group, as it now is, 
has spent a little bit of time trying to work out how it can add more value to the economic solution part of the solution here because it's not just about technology you have to make it valuable uh, and economically speaking that's that's always been the issue if you're putting fiber to everyone's home whilst i think that cost of doing that is rapidly decreasing uh, equally i don't think it would be enough to make make it work and so point to multipoint solutions which is the particular specialism and the particular differentiation that cambridge broadband networks has plays very very nicely into providing what I would call an economic solution into the blend of solutions that a typical telco or wireless internet service provider needs in whatever part of their um, their footprint. So um, economics will play a much bigger part, I think, in the future. You're absolutely right, James. Just to pause the conversation a second and tell you a little bit more about the changes we're making at the Bradfield Centre, we now offer a whole range of new flexible membership packages which support home workers, hybrid home working blended with access to high quality office space and meeting room hire by the hour. Starting from as little as £45 per month, visit bradfieldcentre.com for more information or call 01223 919 600. It's always difficult not to talk about the impact of COVID and the, what the future of work m- might look like. I mean, from the conversations you have with your telecoms partners and your, your clients, are you, are the, how are they kind of looking ahead? Because obviously they have to make decisions, you know, considerable amounts of times in advance to, to, to you know, to think when you think about infrastructure deployment. Um, you know, are they predicting there is going to be a shift in kind of demand away from the, the traditional offices in city centres? Or is it more there's going to be a shift towards a kind of balance of working from home and working in the office, but you just expect the same level of quality in the home environment as you would have done in the office environment, say, 10 years ago? Yeah, I think I think it's all of the above that you just mentioned there, James. I think there's certainly for me going to be a, a balance of a more flexible working approach from office and out of office. Um, there always was to some extent, but I think the COVID situation has heightened that. And if you only just look at the number of people that are moving out of the city centres now, I was reading an article only the other the other week that you know property searches at the moment in the UK are really focused on on outlying areas like the likes of Cornwall and, and Dorset and places like that. And that's because a lot of people are choosing to move out of the major cities and go and work in those locations because it's a much better, higher degree of quality of life, and yet they can still deliver the products and the services that they need to do to in their work environment. So I think there will be a shift to the broadband needs, which are more rural. Um, and I think also at the same time will be an expectation that's that's equal to, if not better than, you know, what is like to work in an office. Having said that, I always believe that we will never, uh, the pendulum won't swing completely in one direction or the other. It will probably land somewhere in the middle. And I think places like the Bradfield Centre um, and other organisations like that will need the what I call the team ethic approach. Um, whereby teams do need to collaborate and come together in unique and different ways. And the only way I think you can effectively do that is to have those types of locations like the Bradfield Centre available to people. It may not be that it's there five days a week for a typical working environment, but certainly I would imagine that you know two or three days a week would start to become the norm. And the expectation would be how do you balance the peaks and the troughs of the urban solutions as much as the rural solutions that you need to to balance that. And in the old days, it was pretty easy to predict 
I think we'll find there's a lot more randomness in those uh, in those predictions now. Uh, but nonetheless, I think it will be there'll be a little bit more imbalance. It, it will be much more, um, you know, a bit of each, shall we say? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, why don't we specifically talk then about how you and your team have coped with the the situation? You know, you talked about being uh, home based over the last you know few months. What what have been the, the you know the pros and cons of that? Where have you seen the challenges? Where have you seen the benefits? Yeah, I think um, the big one for me was I, I thought the team would struggle. I mean, we we started the company with only twenty people back in last March, and I I, I got the distinct impression that, that the team would struggle to help get this business off the ground from a standing start and do all the things that are necessary, like you would do in a startup environment, um, which is really what we were and and still are to a large extent. Um, finding new customers when you're remote, you know, you can't sit down and have a coffee with those customers, and specifically even if they're remote as well. I've got a team in North America, so um, team in LATAM, a team in Middle East and North Africa. So we thought that would be quite a challenge, but I have to say everyone coped with it really, really well. Um, I think there's been a little bit of um, a challenge as time's gone on. I think it was quite unique at the time, quite different. And I think people engage with it a lot, but also people find I found it challenging on different levels. You know, when you've got homeschooling to deal with, I mean, some of the team had meetings, you know, and they've been sat in the kitchen with the kids running around in the background. And, and so you, it also brings it home to you how difficult it can be for people in those environments. And you have to be respectful of that as a leader and try and do your best to, you know, work around that. Um, because it isn't easy. And for some, it's, it's quite difficult. Some cope with that very well. Some don't cope with it very well at all. And you have to be supportive in the organization and find ways to do that. And the other thing I find, found as well as part of the coping mechanism is also having a bit of fun on the journey as well. You know, when you none of you are meeting together, you, you have to find ways to collaborate and have a bit of, you know, informal time with each other. There's no longer the the coffee machine to go and have a chat and, and natter at. There's no longer the ability just to bump into someone in the corridor. So you almost have to force that mechanism to some extent in the right way, of course. So we have um, coffee sh- sessions where we just have a hope an open session on a Thursday at a certain time of the day. Uh, and then we'll book in, you know, a, an event around a bit of fun, a quiz. Um, and we try and keep them light as well, you know, but we in- interlace those with the normal workings of the day as almost like an alternative to, to meeting up with people at the coffee machine. And uh, I have to say, um, it's worked pretty well. I've been surprised at how well it has worked. I was a bit sceptical at the beginning that it would work, but we seem to have come through it well. Yeah, and like you say, there'll still be those times where there'll be the benefit of being together, co-located together. Um, have you had to hire people during this period? Has it been hard to onboard people into the culture and, and kind of it must be difficult? Not I've heard a number of stories where people have never actually met someone in person that they've hired. Um, you know, the, the whole interviewing and onboarding process has been, you know, 100 percent remote, which is uh, a little bit strange. Well, it is. And, and you're absolutely right. We have. We've had about three or four new recruits in the last year, one including our new CTO, a gentleman called William Webb, who's a guru in the telecom space. And William and I, although we crossed paths many, many years in the past, um, we haven't met in this process. Um, we speak every day, you know, two, three times a day, um, but we've never physically met, not in the context of the new organization. And two or three of our engineers has been the same. I've not met them phys- physically yet. Um, 
but I'm sure over time we'll get to that, and in the next few months that that will that will be real. I, I'm sure. Yeah, and like you say, you know, I'm sure. I think the challenge for you know workspaces like the Bradfield is just to adapt and and just to be, you know, attentive to customers' needs and just be as flexible as we possibly can be to, you know, to be provide the services that you need, you know, in, in this new way of working. Yeah, and I think it does, uh, if I'm being honest, James, I think that's exactly what it does do. It creates a location for people who need to have that interaction for whatever reason, whether it's a, a strategy day or collaborating on a piece of project work. There's a limit to what you can do over Zoom and Teams and everything else. And I think, you know, that's why I think the pendulum will swing a little bit the other way over time. It won't be fully one way or the other. But I, I do think there's still an enormous space to take to make sure that environments are collaborative enough, and particularly in the tech startup world where you know um, you, you do really need to be together at times to to figure out problems that you've got to solve. And um, yeah, I, I absolutely believe that um, there's a big place for that, and it'll still remain. Yeah, I mean, you touched on the the heritage of the brand, you know, with the Cambridge connection, and uh, and the fact that you're. Um... You know, you, you mentioned talent earlier in the conversation as well. I mean, what's your take on the Cambridge ecosystem? I suspect there's an element of COVID there too, in terms of you might not yet have been able to fully embrace the the local ecosystem. Is that something you're looking forward to kind of getting into once the events start to come back and the networking sessions and and as you say, those spontaneous conversations in the in the uh, you know the kind of cafe in the Bradfield and that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely, James. I mean, the big thing for me and one of the reasons I chose to have the team set up or the NUCO set up in the Bradfield Centre was was for a number of reasons. But one of them was, I think we needed to embrace new partnerships, number one. And I think um, this was a great way of doing that. I think with the ecosystem of organisations that, James, you have in the building and the types of organisations and that Cambridge ecosystem that everyone knows and loves, um, it, it's all there. And, and I wanted us to wire ourselves into that so that we could build some strong partnerships for future product development, number one. Number two, I think it's also a great place to, to bring good talent on. And I think when you have an ecosystem like that and you have it particularly in the Cambridge vicinity, everyone recognises what Cambridge brings in terms of strength of talent. And I think for us to be able to be wired better into that world, um, I think creates a, a really beneficial opportunity for Cambridge Broadband Networks Group going forward as well, because I'm a great believer that um, that there is this thing where, you know, your D going back to my DNA thing, if you have the right types of people with the right DNA, you can really change an organisation for the better. And, and I We've built ourselves on some new values and some new behaviors that we want to install in the business to allow the business to flourish and direct, go to a lot of different places. And I think you only get that when you start to introduce talent with that capability in them, um, you know, strength of accountability, working collaboratively, having more agility and speed in the ways, ways of working, you know, driving change agendas, building products in different ways. These are all the sorts of things that, I think being part of the Bradfield Centre and being part of the companies that come in and out of the Bradfield Centre, it's certainly something that we want to leverage more than we have done. And one of the reasons that I've been a big advocate for more flexible working, even before COVID, um, is that I also think that lends itself to attract talent because I think um, we, we, we've been, I think certain organisations 
don't see the benefit of that. And I do. I think it's it's the fact that we can choose people from different locations now in, in around the world as well and do it in a collaborative manner in this way and do it in working environments like yours from the Cambridge area. Um, you know, you leverage an awful lot of capabilities that you wouldn't normally be able to leverage. And I think it's a fantastic opportunity for us to wire ourselves in more. And in fact, even William, you know, he's a local um, chap come uh, from Cambridge. And I don't think we would have been able to access him throughout that relationship that we did grow um, through through the Cambridge links. Um, that wouldn't have appeared and William wouldn't have joined us. I'm absolutely sure of that. So what's coming up? You know, uh, are you still hiring? You know, how can people get in touch? What, what, what's what's over the horizon for you guys? Yeah, so the big thing right now is obviously we've just gone, um, we've just designed uh, the next generation product that we want to go to market with. We are currently working with some investment organizations to see whether they could assist us with that, uh, with the fundraise for that. And at the same time, um, as we just talked about, you know, we're bringing on some new new talent in a variety of different ways. Um, we're bringing it into the engineering side of the business. We're bringing it into the system side, software, hardware. Um, we're building out some new products that are not just hardware generated, but software and service and support. Um, so we will be looking um, for some new talent in the area, and that for us is the big thing. So our primary market right now and our primary focus is to build this new um, product, which we call Cygnus. Um, for that North American market where it's a specific 5G fixed wireless access solution for that market. But as time goes on, we fully expect that at the same time that we're doing that and building that product, um, what's going to happen is is that we will be seeing the rest of the markets around the world also follow by describing what exactly is the frequency and applications of those frequencies where we then can say, okay, so we now need to move to the Middle East and North Africa as a region, and we'll start to take the opportunity for our Cygnus product there as well. Um, and we fully expect all the markets to follow suit over time. Sounds like you're, you've got an exciting ride ahead of you then. <laughs> 2021 is going to be strong. Yeah, no, it will be. And um, and like I said, you know, um, investment is, is key for us right now. We've got a number of things going on in that space. Um, so any investors out there want to talk to us, please please feel free to do so. Um, um, but also, more importantly, it's uh, getting on that journey of building that new product for the new markets that we see out there. And um, I'm really hopeful that in the next um, six, 12 months, those markets will start to see some interesting products coming out. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for sparing the time to come on and talk. I'm sure you're a very busy guy. Um, very much appreciated. Thank you. Thanks very much indeed for the chance to speak with you. So just really interesting to, to hear from Nigel on how they've adapted the kind of the pros, the cons, the, the strange situations we find ourselves in where we're hiring people without actually ever never physically meeting them. Um, it's coming becoming seems the norm now. Um, but great to hear that Nigel and the team are looking forward to getting back into the centre and really benefiting from being around the Cambridge ecosystem and having those spontaneous conversations and the, going to those events and tapping into the kind of talent pool that, that's certainly in Cambridge. Um, also just, you know, fantastic to hear what a growth story they're sitting on. You know, demand springing up all around the, the globe. Um, just sounds like a great time to be in the position they're in. Um, so uh, what a fantastic addition to the Bradfield Centre community. Great to have an experienced leader like Nigel in our community. And I'm sure 
you know, if you're looking for some support and guidance, Nigel would be more than happy to grab a coffee with you in the future. So another great interview. Thanks again to Nigel for spending the time with us today. Thank you once again to Nigel for coming on to the show. Also, a big thank you to Carl Homer of Cambridge TV for producing the podcast. You can listen to previous episodes by searching for Inside the Bradfield Centre on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many other platforms out there. If you have five minutes, just give us a five-star review. It will really help other people discover the show.